Well, good morning, New Life. My name is Chris, and uh, I've been battling a touch of uh, laryngitis this week, and so uh, I kind of don't know from moment to moment if my voice is going to be there or not. And so uh, Pastor Rodney has, has also prepared a very similar message, and so if you've ever watched um, like a WWF kind of a tag team thing, um, it's possible that that could happen at some point. Um, and if that does happen, I'll just tag Rodney in. And I've, uh, I've seen his message notes. His sermon is actually quite a bit better than mine. And so maybe you should pray that my voice goes out <laughs> so, that, so that you get to hear <clears throat> a better message. But um, I got through one service, and by God's grace, uh, trusting that uh, we'll get through uh, both, both services uh, today. Uh, well, today we're going to be answering... Uh, what, I, what I think is not, not just one of the most important questions um, that we wrestle with as, as human beings, but I think it's actually the, the most important question that we uh, will ever ask. And that question is, is this one. It is, can I, can I really know God? Like personally, not, not just can I know about God, not just can I know some facts about God, but can, can I personally know the God of this universe. And see, there are a lot of people in this world that I think uh, believe in God. I think, in fact, most people believe in a God. They believe in some sort of higher power, but I think they just wonder if they can actually know this all-powerful, all-loving being. And so I think a lot of times they think, yeah, he probably exists out there somewhere, but there are so many different religions. There's so many different philosophies. There are so many different thoughts out there. How do, how do I even know where to begin? How do I know which one is, is right? And so I think a lot of people just kind of end up thinking, yeah, I believe there's, there's something out there. There's a God. There is a higher power out there. But there's no way that I could ever actually know him or that he could ever actually know me or care about me. And so I'm not even going to try. And I think for, for those of us in the room this morning uh, who are believers, who are Christians, I think if we're honest, there are also times where we feel like God is distant from us. And that can cause doubt to begin to seep into our hearts and our minds. I mean, it just seems like such a complex question. Can I personally know God? But is it really that complicated? What if we've taken something that's really, really simple and we've actually made it really complicated? I remember in, in high school, I, um, I absolutely hated Algebra 2. Any other math haters in the room this morning? All right, there's a, there, there's a few of us in here. Uh, Mr. Hitchcock was my, that sounds like an algebra teacher, doesn't it? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Hitchcock, God bless that man's soul. He, um, he tried hard, but he, he taught in, in a way that no matter how hard I tried, no matter how intently I listened to his lectures, no matter how many hours I spent at home in my algebra textbook trying to understand the concepts, I could not get it. I, I just couldn't get it. It didn't matter how hard I tried. Um, I just couldn't understand the way that he taught the concepts. 
And uh, the problem for me was I was on our high school football team and we had to have, um, you know, certain grades to stay eligible to play. And I was really struggling in this algebra class. And so I was, I was worried primarily about my eligibility for the football team, to be honest with you. And, um, and so I found this really, really smart kid in, in my class and I started paying him to do my homework for me. Um, so there's like, I know it's shocking that I could do something like that, right? But, but it's true, it's true. And um, so I, I started paying this really smart kid to do my homework for me because a lot of our grade came from our homework assignments. And, uh, and so that was kind of my strategy to stay eligible. And uh, things seemed to be going pretty well for a few weeks, actually. Um, but then you probably know the, the end of the story. It doesn't, it doesn't end well. I, I was actually competing with another guy on my football team for the, the starting running back position. And, um, and I ended up beating him out for the running back position. And he was, he was, he was really angry about it. You know, haters going to hate, right? That's what they say. And, uh, and he was hating. And he found out that I was paying this kid to do my, my homework. You guys know what happens next, right? So he ratted me out to the, uh, the school principal, the punk, you know? And um, it's, it's actually probably what he should have done, but, uh, you know, I was angry about it, you know, at age 16 or however, what I, however old I was at that point in time. And uh, you can guess what happened next, right? My, my parents get a phone call. Um, you know, I get kicked out of my algebra class. I get in-school suspension, detention, you know, like all, all, that, all that good stuff. Now, I did end up keeping my starting position on the football team, so the punk actually didn't win out, right? You gotta sell, it doesn't pay to sell out kids, okay? All right, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He did what he was supposed to do, but I kept my position because it's Alabama, right? We love football. And... Um, so I got, kicked out of my, I got kicked out of my algebra class and put into another algebra class. I got a new teacher, and this new teacher was delightful. She was wonderful. She made algebra so simple, and she taught in a way that I could grasp. And so now not only could I do my homework myself, but I could do well on the test. I actually made an A in algebra because she took something that seemed to me hopelessly complex and she made it simple even for a math dummy like me and allowed me to excel in something that I previously thought was impossibly complex for me. Well, Jesus has made what may seem complex to us, spiritually speaking, very, very simple. Having a personal relationship with God is not complicated at all. In fact, it is so very simple that I think many people stumble and miss it because it is so simple. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, here's the thing. I want to make sure that if you're here and you're not a Christian, that you reject Jesus because you're actually rejecting Jesus, not some complication or distortion of who Jesus is or what the Christian faith actually is. And if you're here this morning and you're already in, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, 
I want you to leave here understanding how simple the essence of our faith actually is and how simple it can be for you to share that simple, beautiful message with the people in your life. Let me just say from the outset this morning that the church in our culture, the American church, is not innocent in this problem of the gospel being complicated. We have oftentimes in the church taken something that Jesus made very, very simple, and we've muddied the waters. We've confused people with religion. We've confused people by giving them lists of do's and don'ts instead of simply pointing people to a relationship with Jesus. And so many churches, I think, unintentionally have created what I call moral monsters. People who are self-righteous Pharisees who think that they can get to God by being good enough, by going to church often enough, by tithing enough, by serving enough at church, by praying enough. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are more like I was before I began to follow Jesus. People who just say, look, I can't, I can't follow all the rules. I know that I can't. I'm not good enough. I'm not disciplined enough. And if I'm honest, I don't even want to follow all the rules. And so I just guess all this Jesus stuff is not for me. It's just for better people than me. It's for people who are more disciplined than, than I am. And so in some real way, I, I feel like the church almost o- owes our, our culture, our society, an apology for taking something that is so simple and making it so complex. Like, God, God forgive us for that. So here's, here's the big idea of the whole message. If I could just kind of put it in a nutshell for you this morning. Here's, here's the big idea. God created us for relationship with him. He created us to know him, to be known by him. If you want to know what your ultimate purpose in life is, it's not to make a lot of money. It's not to have a successful career. Young people, it's not to get into your dream school or your dream college or even to marry your dream spouse. None of that is wrong. It's just that, listen to me, you can get all of that and still be the most empty, miserable person walking the face of this earth. And until you step into your ultimate design, you will always feel hollowed out and empty inside because your ultimate purpose is to know and enjoy God personally. Now, I think a lot of us, most of us, in fact, in the world, we we instinctively know that something is wrong. Something is wrong with our world. We instinctively know something is wrong even inside of us. Like there's something that's just not quite right. There's something inside of us that's just 
missing, right? It's just broken inside. And so we, we try to fix that little thing that's missing or broken inside of us by chasing things like money, right? Or, or success or sexual conquest or we look for happiness in relationships with boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever it is, but we can't, we can't fix what is broken inside of us because, listen, none of those things were designed to fix us. Only a personal relationship with our creator can satisfy at the deepest soul level. Now, here's, here's the good news this morning. You, you don't have to be a Bible theologian to have a relationship with God. Did you know that? You don't even have to know what the word eschatology means to have a relationship with God. You don't have to know whether you're a dichotomist or a trichotomist. You don't have to know if you're pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill in your theology. You don't have to know any of that stuff to have a real, vibrant, life-giving relationship with the creator of this universe. It is so simple. And by the way, this has been God's design from the very beginning of humanity. We read in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we go all the way back to the garden, right, with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve literally have like this personal relationship with God. They literally like have conversations with God in the garden. Could you just, just imagine that? Just imagine being Adam, right? And you wake up one day and you're like, okay, um, who am I? Where, where, what am I? Why am I here? And you look up and there's God there. God says, I just breathed life into you. I just created you and I want to love you and I want you to love me back. Could you even just, just imagine what that relationship would have been like? And then you have Abraham, right? Who God calls a friend. They have such a close personal relationship that God looks at Abraham and calls him a friend. Like, are you kidding? In the book of Exodus, right, we, we, see, we see Moses. And Exodus tells us that Moses talked face to face with God. And Moses had such a close personal relationship with God that when God told Moses, he said, listen, Moses, I, I've got this promised land for you and I'm gonna let you go into it. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna have wealth and riches and ease and it's gonna be incredible. But here's, here's the thing, Moses. My, pe- my people are very sinful, and so I can't go with you. You're going to have to go alone. The interesting thing is Moses didn't say, well, it's been a really good time, God. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed it. Peace. I'll see you on the other side. I'm going to go into this land, and I'm going to enjoy all this wealth. I'm going to enjoy living the high life. I've been in this de- nasty desert suffering for all these years. It's not what Moses said. Moses said, God, if you're not going, I'm not going. God, if you're staying out here in this nasty, hot, disgusting desert where I'm suffering and my people are suffering, if that's where you are, that's where I'm gonna be. Because all this other stuff means absolutely jack to me if you're not there with me. 
And Moses was essentially saying to God, God, if I have to choose between your presence and your blessing, I choose you. I choose your presence, God, over everything else in this world. And we have King, King David, right, writing in the book of Psalms, and David would write crazy things like, God, I'm like a deer. I'm like a deer panting for water, like, a, like an animal on the verge of death. Like that's, that's how much my soul longs, thirsts for your presence, God. I just want to know you. And when you read David, and he's just got this obsession with knowing God personally. And then we see Jesus personally enter into our world and wrap himself in human flesh. And he lived with people and he suffered for people and with people, showing us what a relationship with God looks like. God has always been a relational God. From the garden to the cross up until this very moment in time. He is the same God, and our ultimate purpose as human beings has not ever changed. But somewhere along the way, we've lost our way. We've complicated things. We've confused people. We've made it about a religion. Or even worse, we've made it about a show on Sunday mornings. We've made it about a band and fog machines and lights and lattes. But what Jesus offers us is beautifully simple. So if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it up, turn it on, and head for John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. Now, this is probably the most famous passage in the whole Bible. This is one that you've probably seen people holding up on a sign at bas a basketball game or a football game, a hockey game. If you guys follow sports, you may know who uh, Tim Tebow is. He's a famous ex-quarterback uh, for the Florida Gators. We won't hold that against him. And uh, he's now a baseball player in the Mets or organization. Well, Tebow, um, he was getting ready to play the biggest game of his college career. It's a national championship. And Tim Tebow would always put di different Bible verses on his eye black under his eyes. And so for the national championship game, the biggest game of his career, he decided to put John 3.16 on his face. Biggest, biggest game, uh, the whole nation watching, right? That night, over 94 million people Googled John 3.16, right? This passage, yeah, this passage is the essence of the whole biblical narrative, right? And this book was written by uh, the Apostle John, who was described as the disciple who Jesus loved, which just means that John had a very close personal relationship with Jesus. So listen, if anybody understood what it was like to walk closely in a personal way with Jesus, it would have been the Apostle John, and this is what he wrote in his book, chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. You guys probably already know it. For God so loved the world, you can say it with me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world. Love compels us to do things that we normally otherwise would not do, doesn't it? I've seen guys who can't sing a lick, sing a love song to their bride on their wedding day, right? And you're thinking, bro, what are you doing? You're terrible. He doesn't care. Why? Because he loves her. He doesn't give a rip that he can't sing because it means something to her. Love compels us to sacrifice. So, so here's the deal. Listen, so, some of you may be here and you may be running from God because you think that he hates you. You may be here and you may be running from God because you think, man, if God ever catches me, he is going to deliver some serious punishment for all of my sins. But John is saying to us here, listen, guys, listen, God loves you. Let me say that again. God loves you. Yes, you, with all of your flaws, with all of your messed upness, with all of your sins, he loves you. And John says, listen, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it. Watch this. He sent Jesus for us. He, he actually came after, he came after us. He lived for you. He suffered for you. He crushed death so that death wouldn't crush you. God loves you. And Jesus is proof of that love. And then John, then John goes, look, this, let me tell you how you can know God. Let me tell you how you can have a personal relationship with, with him. It's, it's really complicated, so if you have your pencil, go ahead and get it out, because you're going to have to write a lot here, but th th this is what he says. This is how you know God. Are you ready for this? You believe. You believe. Now, that word in the original language literally means to, to commit. It means to commit. It means to, to trust. It means to trust in. So it's, it's like the idea of, um, let's say, I say that I, I trust this stool here. Like in, intellectually, I, I believe that this, this stool is built well enough to hold up my weight. I could say that I believe that all day long, but the reality is, I don't really, really believe that until I sit on this stool and I put all of my weight on this stool, right? Because I can say intellectually all day long until I'm blue in the face that I believe that this stool is well made, that I believe that it will hold up all of my weight, that it's not gonna just collapse under my weight and injure me, but it's not until I actually sit in it that I actually trust in it fully and that I am proving that I trust in this stool fully. And that, that's exactly what John is saying here, right? He's saying, 
Listen, to, to trust in Jesus is to put the full weight of your life on him, to trust in him. He's not just talking about an intellectual belief here. He's saying, guys, listen, this is, this is relational. This is, this is going all in with Jesus. You, you gotta sit in it. You gotta sit in it with all of your weight. You have to stake your life on it. And then John goes, wait, 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 it gets, it gets even better. It gets better. Not only does God love you and not hate you, not only did he prove it by sending Jesus for you, and not only do you simply need to trust in him, to put your faith in him, to put the weight of your life on him, not only do you, that's all you've got to do to like have a personal relationship with God, but listen, get this, you also, when you do that, you get eternal life with him forever when you do that. Now, John is not just saying that you're gonna live forever when you do this because the reality is everybody lives forever somewhere, right? I, I, I love this quote that's been attributed to uh, C.S. Lewis. I don't know who actually wrote it. I don't actually care. I just like it. So here it is. I think this is powerful. You don't, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Isn't that rich? You, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You, you have a body. We Listen, guys, we, we are spiritual, eternal beings. That's why we are the only beings on planet Earth that ask eternal questions. That's why we're the only thing on earth that asks or wonders, like, what happens to us after we die? Why do we even have that question? Because there's this little thing deep inside of us that whispers to us in our silence, there's more. There's more. Like, th this little life isn't all there is. And deep down, we all know that to be true. We all spend forever somewhere. And John calls this eternal life. Jesus sometimes calls this the abundant life. And I would argue that this eternal, abundant life doesn't begin the moment that we die. It actually begins the moment that we step into our purpose, which is knowing and enjoying God. See, when we believe, when we trust in when we put our, our full weight on Jesus, he gives us a new life. He gives us a new outlook on life. He gives us a new way to deal with the hard relationships in our lives, a new way to deal with the hard things in our lives. We get a new family. We get a spiritual family to do life with, and it's, it's incredible. It's not always easy, but it's, it's absolutely incredible. Listen, there's, there's nothing like it to be able to say, I, I know the God of this universe. Like, I, I don't just know about this God. Like, I actually know him, and he actually knows me, and we talk. And he listens to me and I pray and like crazy things start happening. He speaks to me through these ancient words like, I know God 
personally, like, this is crazy. Now, listen, even if you're here and you're, like, you're skeptical of this whole thing, like, isn't this at least worth a shot? Like, you've got nothing to lose, and you have potentially everything to gain, right? I want you to, want you to listen to me carefully. You were created to know God and be known by God. I want you to listen to the words of John again. This is John 17. This will be on the, on the screens. John says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friend, the life that you are looking for, the abundant life, as Jesus calls it, with purpose and joy, even in the hardest times of your life, it is found in knowing Jesus and nowhere else. I want you to listen to uh, God speaking in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Listen to what God says. This will be on the screens for you as well. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. Listen to this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God goes, look, if you are smart, don't stake your life on your smarts. If you are wealthy, if you are physically strong, do not boast in those things. Do not put the full weight of your trust, of your life on those things. If you're going to boast, this is what you should boast in because this is what your ultimate purpose is. Boast in knowing me. Why? Because I'm good. Because my love is steadfast. Everything else in this world that you love will eventually fail you, but I never will. I never will. Not ever, not even once. I am just. I am righteous. I delight in these things. Know me. Delight in me. Boast in knowing me because that is what I made you for. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him what the most important commandment in the Old Testament was, Jesus responded by saying, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. In other words, you can take all of the commandments in the Bible, you boil them down to their essence, and it's this, Love God with everything that you've got. Just love him with everything that you've got. Why? Because God is an egomaniac? No, because God loves you. Go back to John 3, 16, what we just looked at. He loves you and he knows that your joy is tangled up in knowing him and being known by him. Now let me pause right here and just say this again because I, th I think... I think it's here 
where a lot of people go off track and, and they miss it, right? Because, listen to me, there, there is a massive difference in knowing about God and in knowing God. Are you guys following me? There is a massive, listen, this is important, guys. If you're tuned out, tune back in. This is, this is like life or death type stuff. There's a massive difference in knowing about God and knowing God personally. They are not the same thing. Not even close. Now, many of you know, and I appreciate the fact that you don't hold it against me, but many of you know that I'm an Alabama football fan. All right? And uh, I know that's tough for some of you to overcome, but I am. And uh, Alabama's, if you follow sports, Alabama's head football coach is named Nick Saban. He's one of the most uh, decorated, successful coaches in college football history. And uh, I've been following Nick Saban for a long time uh, now. And so I know uh, a lot about the guy. So like, for instance, I know what he has for breakfast every morning, okay? So he has, and he never deviates, right? He's part of the kind of the mad scientist in him is that he never deviates from his schedule, right? He's one of the most disciplined human beings probably walking this planet. But every single morning, he has a cup of black coffee and two little Debbie oatmeal cream pies. So that's what he's had for like, yeah, amen, amen, for the oatmeal cream pie. So that's like 50 years in a row, he's never had anything but that for breakfast. So I know what he has for breakfast. Every single morning, I know that his hobbies are playing golf and playing on his boat on the lake. So he's got a lake house in Georgia, and his family goes over there, and that's how they have fun. Those are the things that he likes to do. I know that his wife is named Terry. They're devout Catholics. They attend sun, Sunday Mass every single week. Uh, many of you, I know, came from Catholic backgrounds. They have two kids, both adopted. They just had their first grandkid, a little girl, uh, about a year ago, right? And so I know a lot about Nick Saban. But listen, here's the deal. If I saw Nick Saban in an airport and I ran up to him and said, Hey, Nickster, how you doing, brother? How were the oatmeal cream pies this morning? How's your golf game? How's Abigail, your two-year-old little granddaughter? He would probably call security on me. Why? Because I don't have a personal relationship with Nick Saban. Now, his son, who's about my same age, if he were to do the same thing in the airport with his dad, Nick Saban would have a completely different reaction than he would if I came up and said the same things. Why? Because he knows his son he has a relationship with his son. And I'm afraid, man, there are, there are a whole bunch of church people who know a lot about God in the same way that I know a lot about Nick Saban, but they don't actually know God. And Jesus says that on that final day, there will be many people, not a few, not a handful. There will be many people on that last day. He will say, Jesus, we did a lot of stuff in your name. Jesus, we went to church at least twice a month. Jesus, we learned a lot of facts about you. Jesus, we threw at least $100 in a plate every month. God, we, we, we served on the worship team. We did all these things. And listen to me, Jesus will look at them, I think, with a tear in his eye, and he will say, but I never knew you. But I never knew you. See, Jesus isn't so much interested in your religion 
or what you think you're doing for God or your attempts to be a good person. He simply requires that you know him. That you walk with him, that you believe in him, that you trust him, that you put the full weight of your life on him, that you learn to love him and walk with him personally. Some of you may be thinking, man, an actual relationship, a personal relationship with God like that sounds intense. And that sounds scary. And I, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Listen, listen to Lewis. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, and isn't that what so many of us do? Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. See, there's this inescapable element of vulnerability that goes into any relationship, especially a relationship with God. Because we have to lower our defenses. We have to take down the mask that so many of us wear to kind of keep people impressed. And doesn't it get exhausting to wear that fake mask every day of your life? We have to actually confess our sins and press into the mercy and the love of God. And I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not, but relationships are not easy. Are they? Good friendship, it's not easy, is it? It's a lot of hard work. Sometimes it's a lot of pain. What about marriage, is that easy? Oh, don't look at your spouse right now. <laughs> that would be a bad move. What about a parent-child relationship? You, you name it. Re listen to me. Relationships are, are not easy. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, your relationship with God will not always be easy either. There will be times of frustration. Just this week, I was so frustrated with God over several things, but... I had this laryngitis and couldn't talk with people, couldn't meet with people that I needed to meet with and kept praying that God would just take it away and I'd wake up in the morning and try to speak to my wife and nothing would come out. It's like, God, why? Why do you hate me? You know, it's frustration, sadness, anger, even at times, right? But listen to me, there, there's a beauty there in relationship with God that you were designed for it's what you were made for, and it's so simple. I love the way uh, Pastor Andy Stanley uh, put it. He said, this, this, is, this is the essence of a relationship with God. I'm going to put it on the screens for you. God loved. God gave. We believe. 
we receive. That's it. So simple, yet so profound and so life-changing in the best way imaginable. Let me close by giving you three simple truths that I think we can extrapolate from these passages that we've looked at. If you write notes, write these down. Number one, God created you for relationship with him. If you're wondering why you exist, the reason there's blood pumping through your veins right now and there's oxygen filling your lungs right now, that's the primary reason. God created you for relationship with him. Number two, knowing God personally unlocks abundant and eternal life. Like that life, that little thing inside of us that tells us like there's gotta be more than just like hitting snooze when the thing goes off at 6.30 a.m. and getting up and going to work and clocking in and clocking out and coming home and eating a microwave dinner and going to bed and doing that again and again and again for 50 years. Like there's something inside of us that screams out, there's more to life than that. There's gotta be more to life than this. And the reality is there is. And it is knowing God personally that unlocks this abundant life that we all seek after and we all are thirsty for where we can wake up and we actually have a meaning and a purpose in our life and that leads right into number three knowing God gives you a purpose and a mission friend don't deep down don't you want to be part of something bigger than yourself I mean don't you don't we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Man, there's got to be something more than the rat race, right? And the good news is that in Christ there is. There's so much more. And we can live our lives in this, this abundant, eternal life that Jesus talked about and John talked about with a real purpose to our life and real mission where we wake up and we wake up and we're talking to God. We have this relationship with God and we know that he's gonna move that day and we know that he's gonna cross our paths with people that need him and need us to love them and to pour into them and to invest in them and you can wake up and it's just like this whole new adventure. And God invites you into that life right now. You were created to know God. You were created to live an abundant and eternal life. And you have an exciting purpose and mission in Jesus' kingdom. And listen to me, all of that, all of that, you only get in relationship with Jesus. That is the only way you get all of that. It's the only way. I want to end by showing you guys something. I want to show you a picture of a, of a captive lion, okay? So look up on the screens. This is a lion in South Africa. And this picture caused global outrage because they took this wild lion, threw him in a cage, and as you can see, he began to waste away. He's got this massive infection in his eye. And you look at that and you just instinctively know like something is wrong with that picture, isn't it? 
That's, that's not the way God designed a lion to, to look or to function or to live. Now, I want to show you another picture. This is a lion in the wild. Do you see the difference there? Now, here's, here, here's the difference. Lions were designed by their creator, listen to me, to live in big, open, wild spaces. And when you take them and you throw them in a cage, they begin to waste away because a lion was never designed for a cage. A lion was designed for the the huge open plains of the African savanna. In the same way, you were designed for the big, open, wild space of a relationship with God. And until you have that, you are like the caged lion, lion wasting away, wondering why you're dying inside. Because you were never designed for the cage that you're allowing yourself to live in. Friend, listen to me. You, you can know God personally through Jesus. You can, you absolutely can. And once you do, once you do, your life will never, ever be the same. Let's pray as the band comes. Father, Father, you have created us for yourself. And nothing outside of knowing you personally will satisfy us. God, nothing will fix that broken place deep inside of us except for knowing you. And so, God, I pray for the person who's here this morning, who's running from you, perhaps. God, would you help them to stop running, like, like right now? Right, right in the silence of this moment, God, would you speak to their hearts and help them to stop running right now, to stop living like a lion in a cage, God, and to instead step out into that abundant, open life and adventure that begins with a relationship with you, God. And Father, for those of us here who already believe, who already follow you, God, but we've, many of us have drifted and God, it's so, it's so easy to do, to begin to believe the lies that other things are gonna make us happy, that other things are gonna satisfy us in the deep places of our hearts. God, if that's, if that's where we are this morning, Father, would you, would you woo us back? Would you draw us back to you, God? Give us a desperation for your presence like every single day of our lives, Father. Help us not, not even to be able to sleep at night until we've spent time with you and we've, we've heard from you. God, help us, help us to, to long for you, God. Help us to live for you. Give us this abundant life that you've promised us, real, real life that you've promised to us, God. And we ask it all because of and in the name of your son, Jesus.